We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, Thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Fred Joyle, co-founder of 1-800-DENTIST and author of the book Superbold, From Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days. Fred started out wanting to be a screenwriter in Hollywood, but instead moved into advertising. While he liked the industry, he didn't like the future he saw in it. He also wanted to start his own business and took up an opportunity presented to him by a friend who bought the 1-800-DENTIST number and offered to license it to him. Fred and a stockbroker friend decided to start the business in 1986 using the number for dental referrals. They successfully built around the business together for over 25 years and became the largest dental referral company in the country. After the company took in private equity, and Fred stepped down as CEO, he focused on building his own brand, one that had already started as a spokesperson for the brand, having appeared in the 1-800-DENTIST TV commercials. He also built up his authority by writing and publishing two books on dental marketing and became a sought-after speaker. His book, Super Bold, draws from his own journey as an introvert to someone who learned to take risks and try, one who embraces failure for the lessons it teaches. As head of a successful business for so many years, Fred has a lot of insight to share, especially about marketing and the importance of being bold. Now, let's get better together. Fred Joyle, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here, Jerry. Well, I'm excited to have you. You're a best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, keynote speaker, and co-founder of 1-800-DENTIST. Now, how many times do I ever get to talk to someone that's founded a 1-800-something? <laughs> There's not many numbers that worked as well as ours did. So I know. I know. How cool is that? I mean, of course, there's 1-800-Flowers and all that sort of stuff, but you you ran 1-800-DENTIST for a better part of 30 years, right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, you're also the author of Super Bold, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but I'm just so thrilled that you could be on the show. It's always great to uh, have some more seasoned entrepreneurs, you know, ones that have kind of been around the block. Our audience loves to hear the mistakes you made so that they won't make those mistakes. So they'll just well, make we've only ones. got less than an hour. So we're just <laughs> going to scratch the surface here. <laughs> 100%. 100 um, before we get started and talk about all that good stuff, as I always like to say, why don't you uh, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? It, it really started uh, when I left college and I, I knew I wanted to write for a living, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. So, of course, I moved to L.A. and tried to become a screenwriter. Uh, and then I realized that there's nobody has less power in Hollywood than the screenwriter. Uh, and, and I had met a, a person who had won an Oscar for a screenplay and, and couldn't get another gig. 
And I thought, this is terrible. Uh, and, and almost at the same time, I walked into an ad agency and, and I just had this moment that, where you find your people, your tribe. And I said, oh, this is where I belong. I could do this because it's something different every day. And it's writing and creating. And also, I had worked in a couple dozen businesses as I worked my way through college and took time off from college and did all that. And so uh, uh, I learned how to write advertising from creative directors who taught a night school in L.A. It was the greatest blessing in my life was that this was available because they taught me exactly how to create ads, how to write that set in a way that sells, how to create communication with a purpose. And that has become a life skill that I have leveraged for the next 30 something years. Uh, and I didn't like the career arc of advertising, which uh, you get more and more money. You start making peanuts and then you get, you change agencies and you make more money and it just keeps scaling up and up and up to, to, um, several hundred thousand dollars, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars. And then at 49, they lay you off and you can never get hired again. And, <laughs> wow. At 49. And you, and you know, and so you end up going client side, as they say, for wow. $75,000 a year, but your lifestyle is 400. Wow. And, and your, wow. your spouse is looking at you going, are we selling the house? Are we selling the other house? So, you know, and, nice. and I, so I saw it happening and I said, I'm not letting this happen to me. So I, and I, I wanted my own business anyway. And it just happened that uh, a friend of mine had grabbed the, the 800 dentist phone number in 1979. And when 800 numbers first came out and he just went, well, look at that seven digits. Oh, spell that. And, and so he, he had a ring to his house for six years. And then they saw me working in advertising and he said, I think you could turn this into a business. You know, you get, you know, get dentists to pay you, you know, get, answer the phone, send them, you know, he had, he had a, a gray sense of what it could be, uh, but he was not an industrious person. So I said, well, I'm not going to work with you because you don't work. Uh, so and he said, no, 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 I'll just license it to you. And so another friend of mine was a stockbroker and he wanted to stop losing people money just to get rich. And he just said, it's like, it's eating my soul here. So do you want to do this together? And it just turned into this great partnership. I mean, we're still best friends uh, after the business has been sold. And, and you know, he retired about 15 years in. And, uh, and, and that's, that was really the core of it because we had complementary skills and we trusted each other. Um, and we weren't all about money. We were about a great place to go to work. And so we had three priorities for our business, whatever it was, is that we had to enjoy going to this place every day which means it had to be fun. We had to be with people we like, we had to treat people well. And then, and everybody had to win. That was, you know, long before people talked about core values, we had three principles we operated by. The second principle was everybody wins. The dentist wins, the patient who's calling, the employees, and we win. And society wins. Society's better off. We're not strip mining. We're not polluting. We're not doing something where somebody has to lose in order for us to win. That was not, we had been in those businesses. And, uh, and third was making money, being profitable. And it was always third. Uh, and, you know, what happens to a lot of entrepreneurs as time goes on is money works its way up. And it starts to, you know, well, win-lose here is not a big deal. And a win-lose there, maybe if I pay these people less or took away some of the benefits, I could make even more money. And, and, and subsequently, it becomes a bad place to work. Uh, and and we, were, we were never like that. And people said, you could have made a lot more money. And I said, yeah, so what? You know, I would have been unhappy with more money. Uh, and so I, I wasn't a, attracted to the to the greed formula. I was attracted to the lifestyle, and it became a great place to work. Just to to you know, when we became the largest dentist referral service in the country, we we reached a point where we were doing almost fifty million dollars a year. Um, we spent half a billion dollars in advertising over the course of the business, most of it on television, and. Uh, 
from that, I became a public speaker. I became an author. Uh, I, I developed a separate reputation of my own in the in the dental industry. And uh, you know, we we eventually brought in private equity, which is a whole other story. Uh, and and that went as bad as it could go. Uh, and uh, but you know, the, my last day at work, I celebrated three twenty five year employees. Because we would celebrate anniversaries every month. So in the same month, three people had been working there 25 years. They, they had given me their entire adult life. Uh, and, and my Gary and I were always, and we had trained our VP team, especially like the people who are supporting us and making the money, they need to know how, how much we appreciate that. Um, and so we were in a constant appreciation mode long before people were talking about that. We, we had an instinct for it because we had not had it. We had had terrible bosses. We had had terrible jobs. And so they were they were tremendous learning experiences. And also we met great bosses and 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 over the years learned from all, everyone. I you know, I'm in, still in learning mode. I, you know, I have another CEO position that I just took. And I, I'm a much better leader than I was 20 years ago and will be a much better leader five years from now. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. You know, cause I mean, back in, you know, back then, I mean, there were no like computers when you started. I mean, literally they called <laughs> we the had, telephone. We had, uh, they had no hard drives. <laughs> we had, we had oh, wow. two floppy disks, one oh. with the program and one with the data. Wow. That's where we started. Wow. Wow. And I like 50 million run rate for referral. I mean, man, that's just talk about at the beginning of, uh, I don't know how to put it because I mean, there were times where you knew like the 1-800 numbers and stuff. I remember when those first came out and people would call and of course it was more local. Like you were sort of at the vanguard of the more national type things where i mean did you guys know who who was calling in from where and they're like you know i mean or was it like oh where are you calling from i mean it's almost like a radio show no this is and this you know this goes back to that time when the 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 phone number became obsolete eventually because people stopped using the phone to find businesses right um but we had a tremendous run with it you know to run a business almost 30 years, uh, a business model. Now it declined steadily because Google ate us. Um, but, you know, there's very few numbers that were seven digits and said what you did exactly, you know, because 800 flowers is an example. 800 mattress is an example. The list is really short. You don't have to figure out what happens when you dial a number. Uh, and it's that seven digits also matters. It also matters not to have an uh, an O in the word because people will die zero instead. Oh, of good. So you've got to grab that number too. Right. Um, but yeah, we could. People didn't realize back when people had, uh, you know, they they blocked their caller ID from showing. They didn't realize if you called a toll free number, that didn't work. We mm. saw where they were calling from. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that was back when the actual, you know, zip code or not so area code mattered. Like, oh, you actually are calling from San Francisco. Yeah, or so you now, are now it the- means nothing, right? Yeah, because I mean, I, I, I always when I see people's phone numbers now, I say, oh, you're you're from Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> right. Even though I met him in L.A. It's like, yeah, I still get the 203 <laughs> mobile number. Exactly. You know? So exactly. Yeah, it means nothing now. So right. How was the transition? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you ran 1-800-DENTIST for, I think it was 32 years, and then you sort of transitioned into being this speaker, writer, you know, how was that trend? What was that like to go from, I'm managing all these people, like I have a business, I have a brand, and now I'm like, I'm the brand. I mean, I know a lot of entrepreneurs think about how they're going to brand themselves and be thought leaders, and it sounds like you sort of went full bore. Well, I, I had the advantage of of being very specifically in a vertical, with, and I had a lot of visibility. I was in most of the 800 dentist commercials as the spokesperson. And so I was recognized for that. 
and I and then I wrote two books that about dental practice marketing that became sort of the bibles of the industry. So I was known for the books and the commercials. And then I just started speaking as well because of the books, people wanted me to speak. Uh, and this became uh, my separation, which was great because eventually I, when I sold, I brought in private equity, I stepped down as CEO and they proceeded to gradually run the business into the ground. Uh, I had no power to do anything. So it was, but I was doing a ton of speaking. So they were letting me build my personal brand while my corporate brand was in steady decline. So I, I, it was like a melting iceberg and I, I reached shore before it melted completely. And to, just to be clear, just to clarify, you're not a dentist. No, no, I'm a madman. <laughs> okay, mm. you're, you're a madman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you started back in the day when, I mean, was it was it Mad Men back then in the advertising world, or would no? It- it, that was that was uh, that was really the '60s was mm-hmm. like that, and I okay. knew guys from that period, and they say that the show was incredibly accurate, particularly really? the drinking and smoking. Yeah, um, I was, but I also think. the way they they were pitching, the way they started suddenly pitching advertising that way. So I get I get to capitalize on that wave of creativity, which continued and to this day. Uh, I mean, it's a it it is the fastest changing, most creative medium there is. Sort of being competed with a little bit by uh, music videos, which have become so incredibly sophisticated and expensive and and high production value, um, but they're not selling anything except the song. Whereas right. we we advertising is always going to figure out a new way to get into your mind and create a desire. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, does, how does, how does the ad, like your experience in advertising, how does, did that apply to your personal brand? I mean, you, you said, Hey, I'm talking, you know, going to step off onto land off the melting iceberg. And what are some of the things that you learned in advertising that you could apply to your, uh, you know, your personal branding? Cause it seems like there's some, something there. I mean, this whole idea of niching and, you know, you were the you know, you're the dental practice marketing guy, for lack of a better word, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my micro celebrity status. Um, <laughs> uh, but but what what you learned in advertising was uh, the the power of emotion hmm. uh, to persuade, and if you weren't doing that, you were doomed to fail. And that really applies everywhere. Uh, in in the simplest thing, in in your in a headline of an email uh all the way to the title of a book to the content of the book to the title of your lecture to the way you end the lecture the way you begin it uh if you're not making emotional impact uh on in some way you are doomed to fail uh and it's you know and and people say oh my business is really hard and i say yes sell dentistry Tell me how that goes. Uh, you know. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. I mean, that was back in the day when everyone didn't like dentists. I mean, that was, I mean, now it seems that dentists are being a little more, people like them a little bit more, but back then it was a horrible experience. Oh yeah. The, the number of people that just were comfortable saying to a dentist, a dentist would say, you know, I'm a dentist and they go, oh, I hate the dentist. <laughs> to a guy's, the poor guy's face. I know. It's like how to, it's tough, rough on the self esteem, um, yeah, and sure. and that's why it it was it was a challenging profession because people didn't appreciate it until they needed you, and then they'd go right back to hating you again. Uh, and uh, so yeah, it was it was it was a hard sell. Uh, yeah, and so definitely. we had to just and, and what we found, and this is the emotional thing, is when you find why your business works. And it's that we discovered that people had as much apprehension and anxiety about finding a dentist as going. Mm. And so we had to make them comfortable with the idea of finding it. It's, mm. This is a safe way to pick a dentist that's right for you, that you're going to be comfortable with. And that was the whole pitch. So they wanted to talk to somebody about the dentist before they talked to the dentist. Because then talk to, to the dentist, the dentist is going to say, you need to come in and make an appointment. It sounds like you're in pain. So they needed to talk to us. And it wasn't everybody. 
it, but it was just a massive number of people per year that to make it, you know, a $50 million a year business that we were helping those people and helping those dentists to not have to do advertising themselves because they didn't know how to do it. They, they were, you know, or maybe there was, was crowded in their area. We succeeded in, particularly in urban areas where there's a lot of people who wouldn't just ask their neighbor who a dentist was. Uh, the more rural we got, the less successful we were. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's a really good insight because, I mean, I think all entrepreneurs need to know, okay, what what is that emotional hook that's going to get someone to actually even pay attention? I mean, the world's noisy and crowded, even worse so nowadays. I mean, there's just stuff everywhere. And I, I personally think, and I'd love your thoughts on this, I, I think product is commoditized. And you win on your story. You win on the emotional appeal of what you're doing. And, and everyone says, well, Jari, the product's got to work. Well, of course, like there's table stakes. But Right. But the po- product, perfecting the product is not the answer. Right. Reperfecting the product is not the answer. There are many, many average products that are selling like crazy because of the story. And there are many excellent products sitting unsold everywhere. Because they think that marketing doesn't matter. And, and, and marketing is now, how, how am I connected enough to care about this? And yeah. it, it's a, so that's a, if you have a business, you have to say, why does somebody care? Or how right. do I convince them to care? Because it's, otherwise, it's a commodity. And, and you, you've built some widget that somebody needs, sell it on Amazon, and 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 it's a race to the bottom. Who's going to sell it cheaper? Because Amazon's going to offer the, the, you know, all the prices of all your competitors. But if you want, if you want to go the other way, if you want to go after the, the, the middle or, or the top of the market, you, you need to find out what your raving fans care about. What, why are they your raving fans and how many of them can you get? And it's yeah. and th- and that's what you have to find out is like is this a big enough audience and is my formula profitable enough and this is a very important young entrepreneur lesson your formula of what it costs you to make market and close the sale and deliver your product has to equal plus profit right all of those things have to be in place you can't believe that no no i'm i've i've done massive r&d tremendous coding on this product it's going to sell itself guess what heroin doesn't sell itself okay <laughs> that's why they're giving free samples out once wow. you're hooked now it sells itself that's a actually that's yeah, very good yeah totally wow. so if you don't know how to sell it and you don't know how to sell it with with in a way that that buyer is going to care about your product, your brand, and you maybe as the owner or the founder or whatever, then you're you you're you're running a short arc of of the business, and it could be really short, and it could never be profitable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen been seeing this a lot with as uh, like advertising, you know, like. Click, you know, click-through rates. Um, you know, advertising Google, Facebook is starting to be kind of arbitraged out because of cookies and all this privacy stuff. Where what used to happen is, you know, you'd growth hack your way, you'd pour money into some growth hacking thing, and you know, you'd get success because you had scale. But nowadays, it just seems that really, I think it's going to be a marketing renaissance. I. I think people are going to realize that oh, this is actually you got to. This is a, the art and craft of this, the science art and craft of it. You got to pay attention to. You, you just can't throw money at Google ads and Facebook ads anymore. I don't think. I don't. I think that's going to. It is. It is a steadily diminishing return because right. everybody's doing it. Dentistry is a perfect example. If you're a dental practice, there's only four things that you can offer as a hook to get people to to click on you and want to come to your practice. And every one of them involves a discount. So you're paying for the ad and you're getting less money for the product. So 
how else do you build that brand? Well, you go right back to how do you build word of mouth? And word of mouth has gone digital, which is fantastic. Because it used to be, you know, 30 years ago, a good you, you had a good product, one person told one person. Now one person tells Yelp or Google or 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 Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok, and it lives on and goes worldwide. That's an that's an enormous benefit, and it's trackable. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I true, I, I would have killed to have trackable <laughs> TV commercials. Or like we yeah. had no idea for, until we started looking at the calls how well each spot and each station was working and that and they were all averages there, there was there were algorithms that we built to try to predict what was really working but when you've got clicks all the way to conversion to tell you if your messaging is working with the right customer that's that's, that's huge yeah and 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 so one of the things and and I'm getting very involved in this is the power of that customer testimonial mm-hmm. of, of a person saying, this is why I like Fred's book, Super Bold. It, was, it, it changed the way I approach my job and my family and my social life. Yeah, I, That took me 12 seconds to say, how many more books would that sell than a New York Times ad for the book? Yeah. probably a hundred times more is the wow. reality because I would use that video everywhere because it's somebody with no production value saying exactly how they felt about my book. Yeah. Gosh, felt being so- the key word. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Cause you know, a lot of, a lot of the people that listen to this show are tech entrepreneurs, you know, like, as you mentioned, like I'm going to sort of write a bunch of code, do a bunch of R and D and, you know, marketing is sort of an afterthought. Messaging is an afterthought. Um, it's it is something that I've tried to convince a lot of my friends and a lot of people I used to work with. Like, look, you got to start with the story. Like, why should people care about this? And I think, of course, your experience with it, you know, I think just solidifies that. Um, but how, how do you convince? folks that it's really about the story and the emotion as opposed to the actual product. Is there, you know, what have you found that's worked? I mean, it just, you just point to Apple and say, what, what, <laughs> it's true. What, what's it's the most expensive phone. It's generally one generation behind all its competitors in, mm-hmm. in terms of its functionality. They never rush to be the bleeding edge of functionality Steve Jobs just told a story about this is this is not a phone. This is the world in your hands. Yeah. That's powerful. And yeah. and and because it also it delivered that. He said, "How would you like 10,000 songs in the same device that you can call your mom?" Yeah. Uh and then eventually FaceTime your grandma. Yeah. And 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 then access everything else in your life. I I have a, a good friend. She ran her entire business from her phone. Wow! She, the the amount of <clears throat> minutes she spent on the on her an actual computer was so nominal relative to what she did with her phone. And it you know it, she just sold it for twenty five million dollars. The business. Wow! So uh, wow! And it's because her focus was on how am I connecting with the people that matter to me? Because when you do that, everybody else takes notice. Yeah. Yeah. This whole connecting and telling the story and getting people to tell your story is a very powerful thing. I've noticed that the brands that I really respect and the ones I do business with more and more are the ones that I just feel good about being with, like I always talk about Respana, which is one of the ones that I've been involved with a couple of couple of years in terms of using their tool. And they literally cold outreach to me. <laughs> like, hey, Jari, I love your blog and da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. But it was thoughtful. And, you know, I over, gosh, over the last couple of years, I've probably referred, I've probably, yeah, I've probably done about, 
almost 30 referrals to them. Like, Hey, you got to check this out. These guys are great. These guys are great. And that you cannot buy from a click ad. You can't, you can't put a price on that. I don't think, I think it's this back to your point about how you, I think you mentioned it when you were running your company about the three points, right? Enjoy everyone wins and make money is the third, but it's like enjoying the fun, the being around, like they care. They yeah. care about you. Yeah. If you start a business because you think it's going to make you a lot of money, a lot of money, you screwed up. All right. You, yeah. you got the wrong plan already. I mean, you want to make money and that's a good motivation to do it, but that can't be the motivation to do it. Okay. There's only one business that's like that. And that's the, the, the capital business, the investment business. And, and that's their biggest failing is their raison d'etre is to make more money yeah. off your business, ideally. Yeah. So that whole in that whole industry is all motivated by money, which is why you see all these guys on Wall Street just buying bigger and bigger yachts because they, that's where they think happiness is. Yeah. And you know, and like and and they find out that that somebody's made a million dollar bonus and, and they're now they're they're depressed at the their nine hundred million dollar nine hundred thousand dollar bonus. Yeah. Like that's you're lost. You're severely lost on in, in terms of a meaningful life because money is not meaningful. No, it's a tool, but yeah, it's agreed. I mean, I and I know a bunch of those kind of folks and they're, it's funny because they get to a point in their career. And I think it's similar to what you said about the ad agency. It's like, Oh, you're 49. You're done. Right. Yeah. I think they get to a certain point where like their soul is just so crushed that now what, like, what have I done? You know, I created all this wealth on the backs of like, you know, private equity as an example, the backs of businesses that are, I mean, I either create a business or I make it more efficient or yeah. Gosh. And they're, and they're making decisions not based on how do we make this product serve our customer best. They're saying, how do we make the most money out of this business? Does yeah. it break it apart? Is it deliver a lower quality product? What you know, what's the formula? And their formula is always to equal more cash or a bigger sale. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's and you know, and we, my Gary and I, never we were never sitting around going, well, "We got to sell this business. We got to find a buyer. We got to find a buyer. We got to make it look good. We got to plump it up, make it you know, like big EBITDA. You know, uh, what's what's the market? You know, multiple for our EBITDA right now. Yeah, it it was. Let's get bigger. Let's yeah. let's serve more people. Yeah. And and you know, we did it for twenty five years yeah. uh, before we brought in private equity. Yeah. And, and, and that's what worked and that's what made it everybody working there. It didn't matter what their job was. Right. They, they were engaged in the mission because it was like, I'm a, I'm a piece of this service that we're offering. I, you know, maybe I, all I did, maybe I'm in the, the mailroom guys seemed like the happiest guys in the place. Cause like they were like mailing by books out and the sales guys are coming. Can you get this? Can you get this out today? Oh yeah. Well, all right, fine. I'll run to the post office. I'll get it out today. And, and it was, it, but it was, and they were, you know, one of the mailroom guys, when we eventually codified our eight core values, he painted them on the wall of the lobby. Wow. In this beautiful, it looked like remember the old Fillmore East posters? Yeah, 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 it yeah, was yeah, like yeah. That. So it oh, was cool. just this beautiful, mag cool. magnificent display. And and that's what everybody saw on the way to work. Wow. And these core values were our they were so easy to guide ourselves because it was like the, the owner's manual. Like integrity trumps profits, do more with less, things like that. And you just say, is this really doing more with less? Is everybody winning? Well, then I guess we're not doing it. And it was like the meeting would end. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the end of that idea. I put a <laughs> bullet right in that one. And sometimes I'd be going, like, don't we want to try it? <laughs> You're like, I'm the Sorry, boss. Fred, <laughs> you know the rules. You made them. Well, yeah. You know? Well, so that I think is what is a really good point. And the standards in which you set, right? People fall to the standard, they don't rise to the occasion. Or generally, the way I think about it is, especially under stress and strain, 
you you sort of fall back to your training and what's habituated. And these, yeah. and, you know, and and you 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 fall back to your true essence. Right. Uh, Good and point. and because and that's where you find out if like everybody's making money, a lot of people can be generous when the money's flowing. It's what do you do when your back's against the wall? Who do yeah. you screw over to save yourself? That's or, or 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 who do you say my only way to get out of this is to screw people? So I guess I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and that's 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 the choice. A real. A, a person uh, with real integrity makes because they say it's like um, it's it's it, in the end it's only money and you know my business decreased in value steadily uh to the to the point where it wasn't worth very much by the end and and I know the reasons that it happened and some of them were market forces and some of them were leadership problems because I when I stepped down we we brought in probably the worst CEO I'd ever met. And he was a, a great pitch man in terms of pitching himself. So wow. we bought into it and then I watched him destroy the business. Wow. And, uh, and, and so, but I wasn't going to do anything, you know, out of integrity, even to save my own business. I was going to work within the channels because there were situations where I said, look, I can end run the board and probably solve this problem hmm. um, because hmm. I know how to solve it. But I got to I, now I got to I've, I've made a commitment to the board to be, you know, to follow their guidance. Yeah, guess what? I got to yeah. follow. Yeah. I mean, that is interesting way to think about it, too, because on the one hand, if you see you're going off the cliff, right? How do you not go off the cliff? But if you're committed to, okay, I agreed to this, the broader thing is I got to let, I got to let them do what they want them to do. You know, I made that choice. Gosh, that is a very, that's tough, man. Cause that's so hard to see that. I mean, you spent, you know, better part of 25 years building it up or, you know, and then you see things just not going right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's you to to watch somebody uh, kill your baby. Yeah, you know, because yeah. your business is you, you're you, if you care enough about the people that work there. Because I had 250 people working there. Uh, if you care enough about them, you you want them to still have good jobs for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and and if you see that disintegrating, that's hard to watch. Yeah. And they'll look at you and say, can you do something? Because yeah. you've been the one that they, they that was always going to steer through the rocks. Uh, and when I'm no longer that guy, that's that's hard for them and hard for me. But right. that's the way, you know, it's also life. But it's also people say, wow, you there was a, had had this couple of things not gone that way. You'd have you'd have had a hundred million dollars. And I said, yeah. And I don't. <laughs> so I'm going to, I, I can sit here and say what should have happened. But right. I, I, I know, I tell people, if you've got should in a sentence that you're saying, you have to rethink it. Ah, right? Because you're trying one. to change the past. Right, right. I love that. Because a lot of young folk, I mean, and I've done do this too, not even young folk, but it's it's how you play it. So, I mean, I always think, you know, the analogies of entrepreneurship being a game and all that sort of stuff. And I don't, I don't typically like them, like the military reference for it. Cause I don't think it's a, it's not life and death, right? No one's going to get killed if we don't miss the marketing plan or whatever. But I think the, uh, the whole idea of it being a game and playing the game and playing the best game you can, and sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. And second guessing that is like, if you've played the game, if you played hard and you put your heart into it, sometimes it doesn't go your way. I mean, how many times have it, has it been like to your point about your business and Google? I mean, okay, I, <laughs> what am I going to do about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can you can say they uh, just like you can say Walmart shouldn't come in and destroy uh, all the small businesses in that town when they come in. Well, whether they should or shouldn't, they do. Um, mm -hmm. So you've said should in hopes that somebody is going to change their behavior. Um, 
which they're not. not happen. Yeah. Not um, happen. You, you, you're in charge of your behavior and, and you're in charge of uh, responding to whatever the market forces are, uh, not what they ought to be. You know, it's, it's like a dentist coming up to me and saying, I, I shouldn't have to advertise with you. People should want to go to the dentist. And I'd say, yeah. <laughs> but they don't, don't. <laughs> No, they want to go eat pizza. They yeah. want to have ice cream. They want right. to buy a Lexus. They yeah, do not yeah, want yeah. to go to the dentist, they, right. even though they should. They should go two or three times a year. Okay. Right. right they right. just, they don't want they don't. to. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So um, let's talk a little bit about your book, Super Bold. I'm, I'm fascinated by it because it's from underconfident to charismatic in 90 days and talk about evoking emotion for a highly functional introvert that uses the podcast to practice talking to people. <laughs> well, I, I grew up incredibly introverted and shy and okay. missed tons of opportunities, missed girlfriends, missed promotions, missed fun, and it stacked up. And I just was more frustrated to the point of being angry at how it was happening but I couldn't figure out why bold people were the way they were. But what I did is I just started emulating them. I just started making myself uncomfortable until I got comfortable. And over the years, I became bolder and bolder and bolder. And great things started to happen. It started to build this positive feedback loop. I wasn't successful all the time, but I was. there was always something to learn from it. and and. And I became addicted to trying rather than succeeding. Interesting. Oh, I like and that. Because if you if because what frustrated me was my hesitance in, in not trying hmm. and, and and missing stuff. If I tried something, if I you know use it's it's always easiest to use meeting somebody. So if I saw somebody I wanted to meet, if I walked over and talked to her one of three things was going to happen. She was going to reject me completely. I was still going to be okay because at least I walked over and found out that she was going to reject me. Two, she was going to be interested in me and I wasn't going to be interested in her once I found out who she was. Right. And three, we were both going to be interested in each other. Right. Trying had all those three options. I was fine with either one because- the only one I wasn't fine with was not trying. And, and what, I, what I found, the other trick to it, now I've written a whole book in a, how you could build your boldness muscle in a systematic way, steadily, because people refer to me as charismatic. And that's, that's why it's in the title. They'll say that you're very charismatic. And, I, and I, the first time I heard it, I was like, are you talking about me? <laughs> Um, and they say, oh yeah, it's like, look at you. It's like, you walk into the room and like six people want to talk to you. And it's like, yeah, I guess so. Guess so. <laughs> uh, uh, and, but it's, but it, all charisma is, is you are comfortable with yourself wherever you are and you don't need to pretend to be anybody else or prove anything to anybody else or worry about anybody else's judgments. And that radiates when people see that, hear that, watch you act that way, they are drawn to you. That's what charisma is. And boldness can be very humble, can be very subtle. It doesn't mean you're the life of the party or a show off or anything like that. It means you're never stopping yourself. You are never the one saying, don't do this. No, you don't. You hear the voice. You just don't listen to it. Oh, this is going to go badly. Well, might go really well. I think I'll find out. Whereas <laughs> we're, we're all really good at coming up with the worst case scenario. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But for sure. we're terrible at calculating the odds of that happening. Yeah. Oh, or or we think it's too we think it's bigger than it is. Yeah. You know, and, like, and, 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 and we're uncomfortable with failure. I mean, there's everybody's talking about like, you gotta, you gotta be a, a, a embrace failure. Well, guess what you do? Um, that's, that's any entrepreneur is embracing the concept of failure because there are no guarantees. Actually what's guaranteed is an amazing number of things will go wrong that you haven't anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. I always and you will say, just have to have, uh, you will have to survive yeah. the mistake. Yeah. I always say, uh, Failure is always an option, but never the final result. That's 
part of in the book, because to your point, you're right. Like you're going to try a lot and stuff isn't going to go right, but you got to keep trying. And I love, I actually love the whole, I'm okay. If I would feel, how'd you put it? I would feel bad if I didn't try. I don't care about the outcome is sort of like the analogy of practicing, you know, like practicing for a sport, practicing for whatever. Cause I mean, I, I'm a, I do jujitsu and I practice all the time and I fail a lot because I'm sure. going against people that are bigger than me or whatever. More well, skill. Well, let's, let's take it down to something even simple. If you're doing uh, bench presses or yeah. something like that, you are aiming for failure. You're aiming for the one you can't do. Right. Because the one right before it is where 50% of the growth happens. Right. Wow. The one you can't do. And so like it's like, that's, that's what great entrepreneurs are doing is like, I'm going to push this to fight. Oh, you know, it, it, oh, there's a, there's a success doesn't have a lot of information because you could have gotten lucky. Your timing could have been good. Uh, you bumped into the right customers at the right time, whatever. There's a bunch of things that, that could contribute to your success that have nothing to do with your brilliance or creativity or even your, you know, uh, your invention itself. Success, yeah. failure, tons of information. Yeah. If you just say, if you let your ego take the blow, cry for five minutes and then go, all right, wh what's in this for me? And it's just, you know, go back to, I walked up to this woman and wanted to meet her. And I just, I just start, started talking about how beautiful she was. And she was like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. And I, and, and, and I, and I, and so I, and, and then she turns and talks to somebody else and I walk away. And so maybe I should stop talking about her body, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. or her appearance. Yeah. And maybe I should find out who she, what she cares about. Yeah. Yeah, and then, emotion, and then you yeah. try that and you say, you know, what's the most interesting thing that's happened to you this week? Nobody's asked her that yeah. in a year. And she starts to talk about it and you find out what she cares about. And it's yeah. usually makeup and hair and stuff like that. And it's like, <laughs> no, uh, well, no, but, uh, no, but, 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 I know. but that's with anybody. Right, you know, right, they, right. People say when they, when they, when they ask me, well, I'm too cheap to buy your book and I don't want to read it and I don't read books anyway. What do I do? I said, all right, just start talking to strangers. Yeah. Talk to strangers every day Yeah, until you're so comfortable talking to any stranger and finding out what, what matters to them or just complimenting them, making them feel good. You will build that boldness muscle because mm -hmm. the idea of being super bold is you are, you, you can summon your boldness when it matters most. And you ah. may not even have the confidence, but you're, you know, enough, I have to be bold. I do not feel hundred percent confident, but I am being bold in this moment. Because wow. it matters. Because I, because I, I want this promotion. I want this customer. I, 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 I want this relationship. I want to get up and do a eulogy for my dad, mm. even though uh, I'm. I don't like speaking in front of people, and I think I'm going to cry. Yeah, that's when it matters. Because it's going to matter four or five times in your life, and it's going to be the difference between success and failure, love and loneliness and regret and fulfillment. Wow, Fred, I think that's a great place to end. <laughs> Man, that was, uh, I love that. Thanks so much uh, for being on the show. Good luck at your new gig. Please uh, let us know um, yeah. when that drops. And uh, yeah, just fascinating conversation and uh, wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Jerry. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Fred, for the awesome interview. Um, I remember <laughs> seeing you in those commercials, so it's kind of cool to talk with you. So, uh, as promised, here are the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Fred. Fred's core advice about advertising anything is that it's all about appealing to people's emotions. Find out why people care and how it makes them feel and connect with them there. And yeah, I mean, Aristotle's rhetorical triangle is all about the pathos, the logos, and the ethos. And most important one, pathos is the emotion. So connect with people on the emotional level, telling stories, etc. You, you really got to ask yourself, what's the emotional appeal? 
I find this very challenging when I work with people because they're always about the features and functions and stuff. And I'm, no, 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 no. What's the emotional appeal? What is the, you know, internal need, right, that people want to satisfy? I mean, you have to get there through the external wants, but what's the emotional appeal? To be successful, don't just focus on the money. There were times Fred could have made more money, but he was more interested in having a good life, living with integrity and serving others. By putting your clients first, You'll be better off in the long run for both yourself, your employees, and the people you serve. Yeah, I mean, fame, fortune, and prestige, they are fleeting. You can always lose that, but you can't, you know, you can't lose your integrity, right? And I think as an entrepreneur, it's the journey, you know, is the cliche, but it really is. I mean, this is a hard job. A lot of people don't make it. A lot of people don't make it successful, quote unquote, successfully, but, you know, really ask yourself, you know, why are you in it? What's the, what's the point? You know, and I do think you'd really have to be a long-term focused person to, in order to be successful. And that includes having a great culture and building things that matter. So show appreciation for the people who support you and work for you. This was something that Fred made a priority while CEO as well as having fun. He believes 1-800-DENTIST was a great place to work because he and his co-founder believed in these principles. So we always talk about uh, when to start building your culture um, of a company, and that should be from day one. So if you're not thinking about what it is, it will morph into something you probably don't want it to be. So really ask yourself, what do we stand for? I know it sounds cliche, but what are our mission, our vision, our values? What's our big idea? How are we going to motivate people? Um, what do we stand for? Uh, how are we going to treat people? What's the and it's it's and the other thing that's interesting is not what you say; it's what you tolerate. So if you tolerate bad behavior, then that's part of your culture. So make sure you spend time on it. And as the founder or the CEO or whatever, it's your job. You set the tone. You set the culture. Culture always comes from the top. So. There you have it, the actionable insights that I learned from my awesome interview with Fred. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.